Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I am your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research and practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Hello, this is episode five of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. It's a great conversation today. I get to talk with Dr. D. Ray Reitzel, who is a reading Hall of Fame inductee, about his recently co-authored book, Young Meaning Makers, Reading Comprehension in Grades K-2. I really enjoy our conversation for a lot of different reasons, but the main reason is last summer I became really interested in this thing called the Kinch model of reading or the construction integration model of reading. And lo and behold, I come in contact with this book where uh, Dr. Reitzel and his co-authors explain how the construction integration model of reading is actually found in the Common Core State Standards and how the two are actually, the Common Core State Standards align very well with the construction integration model of reading. Um, That was an idea that fascinated me both with my teacher brain and as my developing researcher brain and has been a thread that I've been trying to follow and we have a great conversation about how those two are linked and why it matters. Before we get to the show, let's talk about the Teaching Literacy Podcast for a second. I started this podcast because in my doc program, I ran into so much great research. I found article after article of, wow, this is interesting, and wow, if I did this, I wonder how it would change, you know, influence the readers in my classroom. And um, unfortunately, that those things are hard to get into the hands of teachers, that they're published in academic journals, we don't necessarily expect you know, teachers to be able to navigate the nuance of academia. Uh, But there's so much great stuff out there. The challenge is how do we get it to the end of the row? And that's part of what I'm trying to do with the Teaching Literacy Podcast. As I go out and I find what great research is going on out there right now, how can this help support teachers in teaching literacy and effectively within the classroom, and then interviewing those people to see what their take on how that process is? It's been a great run so far. I've really enjoyed every single episode and every single person I've interviewed on the podcast. And the goal here is to help get the water to the end of the row of getting into the classroom what uh, cutting edge, what what the research is saying right now about how we can support learners in developing into becoming great readers. So with that, I will introduce to you our guest. His name is Dr. B. Ray Reitzel. He is a Reading Hall of Fame inductee, and in August of this year, he won the William S. Gray Citation of Merit from the ILA, which is the International Literacy Association's highest award. He currently is working as the Dean in the College of Education at the University of Wyoming, and before that, he spent a lot of years at where I go to school, Utah State University. He's been active, an active researcher for three decades now, and most of his research, if not all of it, is dedicated to tackling tough questions of how does research look, how does it translate to practice within the classroom. So we're very excited to have Dr. D. Ray Reitzel on the show. And uh, after the show, you can stick around and listen to my two cents on our conversation.
Dr. D. Ray Reitzel, welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so the name of the book is Young Meaning Makers, Teaching Comprehension in Grades K-2. I'm curious, what uh, initially got you interested in writing this book? Well, uh, I've always been very much anchored in the world of practice. Um, in fact, if you look at the body of my work over my career, it's, it's been pretty much applied questions of practice that I've tried to address in my work. Um, my good friend, uh, P. David Pearson, often says, I put things to the test that other people take as givens and show that they either work or don't work. And so uh, I was teaching, uh, I was unpacking the Common Core Standards for a group of teachers in Utah one day for the State Office of Education. And as I was unpacking these standards with these teachers, it occurred to me that what everybody in the country seemed to be doing at the time was doing the same thing I was, unpacking the standards level by level, standard by standard, grade by grade, and trying to figure out how we would teach those. The first thing I noted was, where's comprehension? If you look at the Common Core Standards, the term is never mentioned. And so I started thinking about and reading the standards even closer and realizing that it was basically implied, it was um, implicit in the design of the standards that the entire reading standards were about comprehension. That got me curious as to why they had organized them the way they had. Because what I was witnessing as I and others across the country were unpacking the standards was that the teachers would, would look at the standards for their grade level, decide on a standard they wanted to teach, and couple that with some piece of text that they were either working on in their core reading programs or in a piece of literature they were teaching. And I was mystified by how this kind of randomness in picking a standard, applying it to a text, could ever result in any kind of systematic good outcomes for kids or for teachers in using the standards. And uh, so I, I started talking with colleagues of mine at a conference one time, and I said, you know, sometimes I look at the way these standards are put together, and they kind of remind me of the CI theory. And I was having dinner with Jim Cunningham and uh, Linda Gambrell one evening. And uh, I mentioned this to them, and, and I said, you know, what do you think of the idea? And they said, that's a pretty interesting idea. So then I started fishing around and, and, and found out that one of the authors of the Common Core Standards had studied with Kinch. And I said, hmm, now it's starting to come together. And I realized that uh, these standards weren't constructed at that point to reflect just a series of standards that were standalone and isolated and could be just pulled out you know, at random, but that they were clustered in a way that led from Kinch's theory from construction through the processes of micro and macro text uh, propositions and and the work of microstructure and macrostructure and building a text base and all of that to the next level, which was um, basically constructing a, a meaning from the text, coupling that with one's background knowledge, 
and coming up with a model of the situation that was represented. In the and I thought, wow, how would that change teaching if teachers saw that the standards weren't just random, that there was a system here? <laughs> and that's got, kind of got me going. <laughs> so you advocate that comprehension is uh, an essential part of uh, kindergarten in, in the early elementary grades. Um, but others might differ and, and say that, you know, decoding and, uh, you know, word recognition needs to be taught first before a focus on, on comprehension uh, can occur. Why, why do you advocate for comprehension in those early grades? The, the thing about being interested in young children is that, and that their notion that, comp- that comprehension was important really hit me back in 1983. When I read an article by Jim Squire and P. David Pearson in the Language Arts Journal, and it was called Composition and Comprehension, Two Sides of the Same Coin. <laughs> and uh, I, I, was, I, I, thought, I read that article and I thought, my goodness, if, if, if composing text and learning from and remembering text are very similar processes, why wouldn't that apply not just to reading printed text, but why wouldn't that apply to children's emerging knowledge of text in speech, in oral language? And it wasn't until quite a few years later that some of the correlation studies started to show up, um, showing a strong correlation between children's oral language ability and their later reading comprehension, and that there was a strong predictive uh, path between the ability to do the things we do in reading comprehension, but do it in oral language. And uh, Sandy Gillum, who's at uh, Utah State University, he's a colleague of mine, and we've been doing some work on story narrative comprehension. And all of this, this was just coming together in my mind about how um, when young children learn how to tell stories, when uh, young children learn how to structure the delivery of information in cohesive and comprehensive ways, orally, you're, you're tapping the same part of the brain, the same processes in the brain, as you would when you're reading. And, and so the upshot of this book was, um, look, there's no reason for us to be waiting to try to help students use Uh, their brains to comprehend oral text before getting to written text because it's easier. I mean, if you think about scaffolding and trying to help students develop the ability to comprehend and you want to make it as simple as you can, moving from what kids can do without the, the impeding business of decoding in the way, why wouldn't you start teaching kids how to comprehend oral text first without the impeding effects of decoding a printed text that would make it easier for their little brains to wrap it, to wrap themselves around it and be successful. And then the transfer to the written word would be so much easier. So let's get into the construction integration model of reading, which is at Walter Kinch, and then uh, we'll connect it also to the, the common core uh, state standards. So, uh, Kinch's mm-hmm. construction integration model, it's, it's a move beyond schema theory. And, and I think a lot of teachers will be uh, familiar with schema theory, but 
why do we need an updated version of, of schema theory? Uh, what does this model provide that perhaps schema theory didn't? Well, schema theory was heavily loaded toward um, the part of comprehension that had to do with what one brought to the text. Okay, it was pretty much a come at the text from a what we would call a top-down model. What's in you, you bring down to the text. It didn't really deal much with the uptake from the text to the mind. And, you know, I was never a big theory of top-down or bottom-up. I'm top-down or bottom-up. I'm not a big fan, I should say, of top-down, bottom-up theories because I felt like it was neither nor. It was both and. <laughs> I was always a big fan of interactive theories. And what I noticed over the years working with schema theory, and by the way, I was a very big fan of schema theory. Some of the, one of my earliest articles was written in, I think, 1984 or five or six, right in there, about how to remodel core reading lessons around schema theory. I called it the reconciled reading lesson, reconciled with schema theory. And um, so I was a big fan of it. But what I noticed was happening uh, as I watched this infatuation with schema theory and front-loading background knowledge and, you know, and helping kids understand what was in the text conceptually before they got to it was I started asking myself the same question I did with silent reading. And that was, so what are the kids learning from the text? If we're giving them all the information that they need to comprehend the text before they encounter it, then what are they learning about the process of learning from text? I've already handed it to them. I've, I've, and, and then I read some stuff that Pearson had written and he was starting to see the same thing and was saying, you know, we've been letting teachers and kids feed at the trough of prior knowledge for way too long and too much. And so I started getting this idea out to teachers that, you know, schema theory is good, but it's been taken way too far. And in fact, we are now moving into the area where we're depriving kids of the opportunity to learn from text rather than learn before you get to the text. So that's why I, I really think we needed to move beyond. We weren't, we weren't equipping students with the skills and strategies they needed to comprehend text without teachers front-loading the information, which, meant the, which makes kids teacher-dependent instead of text-independent. You know, I mean, I mean text processors independent of teachers. That bothered me. So the idea behind the construction integration model is uh, there's a construction component and then afterward there, there, there's an integration component. Uh, let's first explain the major components of the CI model and then we can go through how the process works. So what, what are the major components of the CI model? Well, as I write about it and talk about it and everybody, you know, looks at the, the model and, and tries to put their spin on what Kinch has said much more eloquently than any of us could. <laughs> uh, and that is, there's, there's, there's a almost staged process that students or readers go through in taking up information from the text that is being constantly mediated by the background of the reader. Okay, so we just kind of have to have that notion in, the, in, in our heads that 
we're not dismissing prior knowledge, but we aren't allowing it to displace the fact that students have to deal with the text in front of their eyes. And um, it was almost, you know, I watched the little kids learn to memorize text when they were learning to read. Uh, and I could t- take the text away from their eyes and they could still say it. <laughs> you know? Well, that's not reading, okay? Um, and so kids who already know everything about spiders because the teachers have loaded it all up, you know, aren't learning anything from text. So the first piece of, of what kids talks about is you, you have this background knowledge. You can't divorce yourself from it. It's there. It's going to be mediating what, how you're thinking about the text, at least once you get past the, the troubles of decoding and becoming fluent. Um, you are going to always have that back there, and it's going to mediate how you think about the text. But what he's saying is we need to teach people how to get into text and extract from the text new knowledge, new understandings, new concepts, so that you're growing and learning from reading. And so that's what construction is about. You're constructing a model of the text in your head as you read that is very much dependent upon the text but not identical to it. Otherwise, you'd be memorizing. And he says you do that kind of staged uptake in a very systematic way, okay? And, and, and Perfetti would say the same thing about this. You start with words. If you don't know word meanings, you're out of business. <laughs> it's, it's somewhat hierarchical. You got to know the words, and you got to know how the words combine in, to make phrases, and how those phrases combine to make sentences and how sentences combine to make paragraphs, and how paragraphs combine to make sections and chapters and other divisions of text that we work with. And so the first piece you've got to do is to get at this notion called microstructure. And that really deals with word meanings, phrases, sentences, and words that connect ideas between sentences and among sentences. So you're building almost up to a paragraph with those micro text features. If you don't get those right, it's very unlikely you're going to get anything else right going up the ladder to macro structures as you construct your model of the text in your head. Once you've got that kind of micro structure laid out, he calls them propositions in your head. And and they may not be laid out in, in any kind of great order at this point. You're just collecting information, and um, you've got to get the words right, the meanings of the sentences, and and how the sentences connect right. Then once you have that, then then the mind starts to work on how do these work together, or what he calls macro structure. How is the information packaged logically, um, uh, relationally, to connect meaning into bigger packages? So if we're talking about stories, we're talking about this thing called story grammar or story structure. And uh, students either get taught that or they internalize it from being taught a lot of stories and they intuit it. Okay? But they're building a structure, anchors in the mind to hang this on in certain ways, what they read. And it's the same thing they've got to do with information text, except 
information text has many more delivery modes in terms of structuring the macro levels of text. It could be answering a question. It could be solving a problem. It could be cause and effect. It could be enumeration. And it could be just a lot of things. And so that's much more difficult to do. And I think that's one of the reasons teachers love narrative because there's one structure to teach and the kids get it and you feel really good that you taught them something. But that other stuff, boy, that information text, that's a toughie. Uh, so the idea here is, is that you're working your way up through this microstructure, then you're looking for the structure that is in the text at a more um, global level and hooking those ideas together in this model of text you're building in your head. You've got to have those connectors in there. I'm really big on talking about um, what, what some people call cohesion comprehension back, to, back in the 80s. And that is knowing about all of these connector terms, subordinate terms, coordinate terms, causal terms, okay, and ordinal terms. Okay, They're all embedded in text, and they're meant to signal how to put things together. And I see very few teachers teaching that to kids. You know, if you're if you're looking at a text uh, for macro structure and it's, uh, say, a recipe, uh, you would be looking for words like first, get out a cup of water. <laughs> Second, <laughs> you see. And so those words are in there intending to tell you that there's a sequence here and it's step by step. So that's what what Kinch would be talking about with macro structure, that basic idea of how it's delivered um, and packaged up for you to understand the relationships among the ideas in text. Once you got that all together, you've constructed that model. Okay, it's in your head. And now you come to the piece where you integrate it with that thing that's been lurking in the background. (laughs) And that's called your prior experience, your, your knowledge of text itself and of the world of experience and knowledge that you brought from who you are. And that's where you integrate, okay? And the product of that integration, he calls a situation model. And that is, uh, I spin it around and say, it's a model of the situation represented in the text. It's your very unique representation of that situation in the text because your background is not the same as my background. You know, you might be reading a story about a dog and in your head, you're thinking of Lassie, okay? And, you know, I'm thinking of some other dog, you know, Rin Tin Tin or something, you know, one of those old dog shows. And, 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 and if I were to have you draw what you're thinking about versus what I'm thinking about in that situation model, you might have a different breed of dog altogether than I do. But it's still a dog. And so that's the uniqueness of the situation model. And... When you put those things together and you make that situation model, your unique connections, then the next really p- big part of integration is to take that model and situate it and, 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 and load it into your long-term memory so that you're growing your knowledge network. And that's effortful for most everybody. You know, when you read a book, you don't, it just doesn't go in there. You have to take some steps like, highlight and take notes and organize and rehearse and you know and and teach it to somebody else or represent it in a powerpoint you know but you're you're organizing it differently so you can practice it and get it in your head and harden what you know and so all of that is very effortful uh one of the ideas i've put forward over the years is comprehension fluency (laughs) which is i haven't really fleshed it out much 
But that is how fluently can you do those effortful things? And the more fluently you can, the quicker and the more efficiently you'll learn from text. But I haven't, that's something I haven't done yet in my career is get out there in that territory. <laughs> so that's kind of the big stuff on uh, the, the CI theory. So describe the connection between the uh, CI model, the CI theory, and then the common core state standards. You mentioned before that you feel the com- that comprehension is implied in the common core uh, state standards. So where is, uh, where is it implied and, and how does the CI model connect with the common core? Well, if you look at the individual standards, um, the anchor standards, um, it doesn't appear to be connected. I mean, it just looks like you've got, what, nine individual standards hanging out there. But when you look at the, the work in the Common Core and how they're clustered, that's when you start to see the connection to CI theory from the Common Core. So the first cluster, I think the first three anchor standards, uh, are around the idea of key ideas or details in text. Now, what is, is that like? Well, that's like microstructure. What are you picking up? What are you taking from the text? The words, the phrases, the sentences, those are key ideas and details from text. Okay? And so that's what you would be doing first to build that text base. And so um, that's very important. If kids can't do that, they're not going to get to the next level. You don't have those key ideas. If you, you know, if you don't know what the words mean, you're not going to know what text structure is. You're not going to build a situation. Off. It ain't going to happen. And uh, so it's very important that teachers understand that the very beginning part of, of taking up information from a text is building that micro level text base that connects to the standards at key ideas and details in that cluster of three. And once you got that, you're starting to build that text base, you go up to macro structure, which I believe is called um, structure and author's craft is the cluster. Well, okay. Um, what's structure about? Well, exactly what macro structure is about. It's about those global level, high level organizational pieces of text. And so those three standards are meant to drive students to a new level of t- uptake from text, to go back at the text and organize it. If you can't determine what the organization is, then to remember it and make it useful, you have to impose an organization on it as a reader. Otherwise, it's chaos. And then once you get that, you rise to the third cluster of the standards. And that one has to do with what they call integration. Isn't that interesting? Integrating new ideas. That sounds familiar. (laughs) As I started to look at the two, it was like, duh, you know, I hate to put it that bluntly, but can't you see it? Can't you see that these standards weren't meant to be used randomly one by one, but they were meant to be used in a sequence through these clusters to raise comprehension through the process of creating a text-based macro, macro, and then integrating that with your background knowledge? Can't you see that if you use those standards properly, you'd never pick one and drive through a whole text with it. And then I started thinking about the fact that well, what, the, what is the point of this stuff called close reading? 
Well, close reading really ought to be to read that text again to raise the level of comprehension. So, you know, we'll talk later on, I'm sure, about the idea of, you know, how do you make this work in practice? But for me, it was like, oh, that explains why you'd close read. You're, rise, you're trying to help kids raise their level of comprehension all the way to creating a situation model and loading it into their background. Wasn't that a great conversation? I really enjoyed talking with Dr. Thierry Reitzel, and this is actually part one of a two-part episode where we had uh, the conversation was great, and it was long, and it was fantastic, so I'm splitting that one into two. Uh, so you'll get the second half of the conversation next week where we talk a bit more about how, what it looks like in practice. But my two cents from this episode is the first one is the power of theory. And... Um, you know, I, there's the quote out there that says nothing's as practical as a good theory. I think that completely applies here, where sometimes as teachers, there's this tendency to feel like, well, yeah, that's the theory, but how does it actually work? But there are theories out there about how comprehension really does work. And uh, Dr. Reitz will explain the construction integration mo model from Walter Kinch. And if we can use that theory, if we can work with the brain instead of working against the brain we're more likely to have better student outcomes. We are more likely to develop better readers if we work to align our instruction with the ways that the brain is actually processing text as, it, as it's being read. It's also very interesting to see how the construction integration model adds on to what schema theory already provides us, that we know background knowledge is important when being able to comprehend a text. However, there's myriad other things that are also important. And so attending to um, a larger version of how the brain processes text that still um, accounts for background knowledge and prior knowledge, but without um, over-relying on it and using that, there is meaning in the text. And if we can help students create that meaning from the text, we're doing our job as teachers, and background knowledge is a part of that, but it's not the whole story. So that was my first takeaway from my conversation with Dr. Reitzel, is I love the power of being able to find good theory and work with it to you know, leverage better outcomes with our students. My second takeaway is the Common Core State Standard Spaghetti Method. I loved his way of terming that. I will be honest, I just viewed the Common Core State Standards as here are standards, and these are standards that will help your kids read. But I saw them more or less, I mean, of course related, but I didn't see them as having a true relationship in the sense that Dr. Reitzel was able to explain to us. And now, understanding the construction integration model of reading and being able to see that, oh, these standards are meant to work in tandem with each other, that it's not just spaghetti that we're throwing on a wall to see what sticks, that there's a process here, and that if we can pull from the structure and author's craft section and combine that with the integration of knowledge that to help a student begin at the basic level of the text and progress all the way through until that, that reading is completely com comprehended and integrated into their knowledge, then I think that's a much better way of teaching the Common Core State Standards rather than just the random wet spaghetti on the wall. And that conversation and, and reading that book has changed practice in my classroom. I'm 
much more mindful of trying to combine standards in a meaningful way that's going to help them go from from the microstructures of text through the macrostructures of text and then in the end being able to integrate that with other knowledge that they have and add to what the knowledge base in their brain is. That was a great conversation today. I'm very excited for part two next week where we can jump a little bit more into what does it look like in the classroom? How can we support it with young readers who still need to develop their ability to comprehend complex text? And if you enjoyed this episode or if you've enjoyed other episodes or if you see the vision of what we're trying to do here with Teaching Literacy Podcast, please share it with a coworker, with a if you're a faculty member with, with your undergrad students, of anyone who is a teacher or working to become a teacher, uh, share this with them so we can help get research into the hands of those who need it most, which is our teachers. Also, we are on Twitter, so find us on Twitter at Teach Lit Podcast. And then there is our website, teachingliteracypodcast.com. We're still waiting for reviews on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you get this podcast, Google Podcasts. So feel free, if you've enjoyed what we've done on the show so far, to leave us a review, and that helps get the podcast out to other teachers who perhaps would benefit from a little bit more research. So that is it for today's episode of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Like I said, next week will be part two with Dr. D. Ray Reitzel. Until then, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.